Everyone doing? Good. We want to welcome everyone here. We are starting a new series in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And as you turn there, we've got a brief video for you. You ever been given a gift that um, you don't know how to say thank you? Recently, I was given this uh, briefcase by a friend in my men's Bible study over uh, the Wednesday group I do at Laurel Ridge, and I don't know quite how to say thank you to him, but uh, it it stood out to me for a few things. Number one is the person who gave the gift. Um, He's a a friend and. He has um, a heart for leaders, and he speaks into leaders all around the world, and his, his goal is to raise up leaders. Number two, it's the thought behind the gift. He gave me something a lot nicer than I really needed. Um, he wanted me to be organized and come across somewhat professional, so uh, he gave me an executive briefcase. Number three, the memory behind the gift, uh, my friend... He won a uh, Super Bowl in 1985 for the Chicago Bears, and this was his briefcase as the GM for the Chicago Bears. So when I carry it around, I'm like, we've got to win this year. (laughs) We've got to do something this year. So the book of Philippians is a thank you letter, and Paul is writing this to the church at Philippi, thanking them for how gracious they have been to him. They had sent him Epaphroditus, who may have been their pastor at one point, and Epaphroditus was loving on Paul, because as we know, Paul was in prison. Many scholars think it was in Rome. It could have been Caesarea or Ephesus or other places, but traditional view is Rome. And he's, right, he's in prison. Perhaps he's under house arrest at this point. And Paul is writing a book. I mean, you can imagine if you were in prison, and most of us would be singing Johnny Cash, be singing the blues. Most of us would not be talking about the joy that you can experience in Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get 
under bad circumstances? You ever heard anyone say, how are you doing? I'm doing good under the circumstances. Well, Paul, he would probably say something like, what are you doing under there? And thus we get the book of Philippians. So over the next about three months, we're going to be studying this book. And I'm really excited because by nature, I I, I tend to be a little optimistic and upbeat. And so this is natural for me. So I'm excited to talk about the book that talks about joy. At least 14, 15 different times, joy or rejoicing or being glad is mentioned in the book. And we also see that Paul is writing to a group that has a lot of privileges. The church at Philippi, many of them, because they were part of Philippi, it was a Roman colony, which meant that they were Roman citizens, which meant that they were tax-exempt. How many of you would like to not have to pay taxes the rest of your life? I don't know about you, but I would sign up. So many of them um, had affluence, and uh, there were some people that were struggling in poverty. And if you want to know the background of the church at Philippi, you can read Acts 16, which will be homework. Read Acts 16. But basically, the church at Philippi was started on Paul's second missionary journey. And he started it by leading a lady who sold garments. You might know her name, Lydia, right? She was a seller of purple garments, and Lydia was this fashionista. I mean, she was like, um, you, you name your favorite fashion brand, she was that lady that was a designer. So she was probably on the upper scale. And then Paul, you remember, as he often did, while he was in the city, he got thrown into jail. And um, so while he was in jail, this prisoner, um, basically, he realized that Paul, something was different about him. And all of a sudden, Paul got released at night. You remember the Lord released Paul. And the the jailer was getting ready to commit suicide. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're here. And the Philippian, the the, the jailer at um, Philippi also received Christ. So you have this guy, you know, blue-collar worker. So you have Lydia, the the wealthy lady. You have this blue-collar worker. But there was a third person that was a part of this church. You remember the slave girl in Acts 16? She had the spirit of dividing, and she would try to predict the future and all this crazy New Age stuff, and Paul led her to Christ. So she would be considered on the struggling side. So you see you have all different social classes in this church, and I think it's very illustrative of the church today. You have people from all different backgrounds, but what brings them together is their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So go ahead and turn to Philippians Chapter 1, and I can give you guys more background information as we go, but that's just a little intro into the book. And the basic theme, as we mentioned, is joy. So when we talk about the pursuit of joy, uh, we're going to learn that joy is something, if you're a Christian, you have it, but sometimes it doesn't have all of you. Um, It's funny how sometimes we, we say things like, you know, the songs like, more of God, more of you, Jesus. And I know the intent is good, but do we really get more of God or does he need more of us? You see what I'm saying? So joy is something that we have it because it's the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit needs to be fully developed and grow. So when I say the pursuit of joy, we already have it. We just got to tap into the fruit inside of us. If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. So joy can also be an acrostic, and this helps me. I learned this probably as a high schooler. Does anybody remember what J stands for? Jesus others, and then yourself. Okay, I wasn't the only one who grew up in Sunday school. But really, the book of Philippians is all about if you put Jesus at the center of your life, he's first place, and then others, that's chapter 2, you know, let not every man look on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
And then you put yourself last, then you can tap into joy. Then you can be filled with God's presence, and that includes the fruit of the Spirit and the joy that he has. So today we're going to jump in chapter 1, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 11. And uh, God willing, as long as the video works, we're going to be videoing this. You guys, for those of your friends who weren't able to make it or traveling, you can send the video message to them. So we're going to start in verse 1. And this is going to be a very encouraging passage as we read. Paul's going to say hello to the church and give us some great theology. And then in verse 6, which we're going to read in a moment, he's going to say, if God has started something in you, he's going to complete it. He who has began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that amazing that Paul calls himself a bond servant? A lot of times when you think of people who are high in leadership, they don't really come at the humble level. But Paul is saying, listen, I'm a servant. I'm a bond servant. All right, let's go into the next verse. It says, I think my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, wouldn't it be great if your pastor, um, your Sunday school teacher, every time they thought of you, they were filled with joy? Which, by the way, most of you, that's my, <laughs> it's great. When I think of you, I'm like, wow, what a church. And that, that's what happened to Paul. When he thought of the church, he's like, wow. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship with the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. When you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... Was that by works or was that by grace? It was by grace, right? You received them through faith. So if you started in faith and it was by grace, why do we, some along, along the way, think that we, we can do it on our own? That we have to do something to make ourselves more acceptable to God, which, by the way, is the book of Galatians. Paul talks about you can't add anything to what Jesus did. So if Jesus did it, he will complete it. So that's good news. If you've ever wondered about something that, that became a Christian and they seem a little, man, that person's in left field or this person's struggling, the good news is if God truly started it, God will truly finish it. Amen? Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. Now, think about Paul. This is something I didn't mention about Philippians. But in Romans, you see the mind of Paul. Many many epistles, you see the intelligence. Philippians is the very few of Paul's writings, one of the only where you see Paul's heart. It's almost like a personal letter. Most of the letters he's writing, he's trying to correct something. With the church at Philippi, overall, it's very positive. So this is kind of like a personal letter, and you see Paul's heart. Have you ever met somebody that you're like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I don't really know where you're coming from. I want to I hear your heart. Well, Paul opens up and says, I have you in my heart. It says, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't that be a blessing if we could say that about each other? I love you with the same love that Jesus has for you. That's a pretty audacious claim. I don't know if many of us could say that, myself included. Are we at that level of love? So we can say, I love you the way Jesus loves you. Wow. 
And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. And I want you to underline this in your listening guide. In knowledge and all discernment. And this is going to be really great for relationships. We want to talk about this in the message. That you may approve the things that are excellent. And that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how encouraging it is, how exciting it is. I ask and pray that you will help us realize this one theme, that you will never give up on us. God, you will never give up on us. I pray that that would just be in our hearts and our spirits, that we would realize you would never give up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message is simple. God will not give up on you. And I want to give you four portraits of why. Four pictures of why you can be assured that God will not give up on you. Number one, He treats you far better than what you deserve. Look back at verse one. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, Did you realize that you are a saint if you're in Christ? Some of us may not act like it sometimes, but a saint literally means holy ones or separated ones. And you're like, I know my husband and I can tell you he is no saint. Or my wife, when you hit her certain times of the day, early morning, late night, whatever it may be, she is not a saint. But here's the thing. Here's the thing in Christ. When God views you, if you're in Christ, He looks at you through Christ, through the cross. Now, your reality in the here and now, mate, you're struggling, you're going through stuff, but God's view is that you're a saint. And in one sense, you are a saint, but are you still a sinner? Do you still make mistakes? Absolutely. But what I want to encourage you is, you need to be in touch with reality, but you need to get God's view of yourself. He sees you as a saint. And to me, that tells me He treats me far better than what I deserve. Notice it says, grace and peace from God our Father. Now, grace is something that's so amazing. And when you see pictures of grace, it just changes the way you think about things. I was reading a story. It comes back from South Florida, I believe in the Miami area. It was this 10-year-old boy named Christopher Carrier. And um, some of you that lived in the 70s and 80s, You'll remember hearing about this boy. And it was really a sad story. He was walking down the road one day. And he saw this gentleman come up to him. And he said, hey, I work for your father. And as you know, it's your father's birthday coming up. And it was just five days before Christmas when when this conversation started happening. And the guy said, can you help me find a present for your father for his birthday present? And uh, the boy said, sure. He was so excited that he followed this gentleman all the way to um, his vehicle, they got in the vehicle, and he drove him down to the side dirt road, acting like he was lost. So whenever they got out of the car, Christopher was like, what's going on? And the guy said, I don't know where the store is at, can you help me? So he pulled out a map, and while Christopher was looking at the map, he felt this sharp pain in his back. And the gentleman had punctured his back with an ice pick. Then the story goes on that he drove him down the side road where this alligator-infested swamp was. He shot him in the left temple and left him for dead. 
Now, what, what, what's amazing about this story, six days later, someone found him, and he was still alive. He was unconscious, but still alive. And they brought this 10-year-old boy basically back to health. He was blind in his left eye. He couldn't see. And all of a sudden, the, uh, the story goes on that about three years later, he got invited to a church hayride. You know how they have around the holidays, like fall fest. And he got in the church hayride, and he heard the gospel, and he accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And because of that, he was able to forgive the man. Because the trauma that happened, being blind and being unconscious, he could never identify who the guy was. So they never found the guy. He was running loose. So fast forward three years, he accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior. Two years later, at the age of 15, he shares publicly this testimony of how he almost died and how God spared his life and how Jesus saved him. And a few years later, he accepted the call into full-time ministry. So here you have this 10-year-old boy that was left for dead. God miraculously saved him. He's called to ministry. Fast forward, the story doesn't end there. So if you thought it was a bad story, hang in there. He gets a phone call from a detective. And the detective said, you, you, you know, this is many years later. He, Christopher's married, has a wife and kids. And he said, you know, we found the guy. He, he confessed to what happened. And he, he was in a nursing home. It was a 77-year-old man. His name was David McAllister. David McAllister. And they said he's in a nursing home. He's 77, he's blind, and his health is fading. Would you like to meet him? And I don't know about you, but I would be like, oh, that's okay, you know. I'm going to spend time with the wife and kids. This guy tried to kill me. But he went to the, the nursing home where this guy was dying. And he began to talk to the guy. First, the guy denied what he did. But eventually, the guy, his heart softened. And he said, you know what? I did that to you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And Christopher said something to him that made me think of Joseph. He said, what you meant for evil, God brought about for good. Because because of what happened to me as a 10-year-old, I've been able to share the gospel with so many people that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I accepted Christ as my Savior at a young age, and God got a hold of me, and I forgive you. And he went home to his wife and kids, and he said, Honey, you won't believe what happened. But the guy confessed what he did, Mr. McAllister, and I've forgiven him. And I want you guys to come with me to meet this guy. So he took his wife and kids to the nursing home to talk to this guy. And they visited him on a regular basis, sometimes a couple times a week. And just a few days before he died, Christopher said, Mr. McAllister, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the guy said, no. And he said, would you like to do that right now? And he said, yes. And just a few days before he died, he accepted Christ. And Christopher said, you know, when they, one of the news reporters asked him, you know, tell us about what happened. He said, listen, I don't view this as a tragedy anymore. I view this as God gave the man his life back. And one day I'll be able to spend time with him in heaven. When I read that story, I was wrecked because that's grace. I mean, most of us would be like, I, okay, I forgive the guy, but I don't want to talk to the guy. Much less bring my family to, to minister to him. But you know what? Grace is God treating you and I better than what we deserve. Amen. What a picture. Number two, he has a special plan and purpose for your life. A special plan and purpose. I wrote down a thought on grace before we read the next few verses. Grace is God treating you far better than what you deserve because Jesus took what you deserved. Grace is God seeing a ray of hope in you and giving you the benefit of the doubt. Grace is treating you like his very own son 
because of what His Son did for you. He died in your place. Grace, grace, amazing grace. Amen. Look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. By the way, the, ver- the verb thank in the Greek, it means to continually thank- be thankful. So in other words, I'm not just thankful for you occasionally. Every time I think about you, my heart is filled with thankfulness because of you. He says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't it intriguing that Paul looked at the church at Philippi. He had a personal interaction with a slave girl that basically practiced witchcraft, but now she was a Christian. He had a personal interaction with the jailer that was locked him up. Now he got saved and his whole family. He had a personal connection with Lydia, the fashionista that had this lovely home and let Paul and others come to her house and be ministered to. And when he thought about the church, he said, every time I think about you, I'm filled with joy. Now here's the interesting thing about prayer. Whenever you pray for somebody, pray with joy. Because what that means is you have anticipation that God's going to come through for that person. Praying with joy is praying with faith. Because this person may be in a bad situation, but you know what? God's got them. Many of us pray for God to heal people that are sick. And can God do miracles? Absolutely. Can He do it? Yes. But here's the thing we've got to always realize. In Christ, God's eventual purpose is for us to be with Him forever, right? So eventually, we all have to transpose from this world to the next. I mean, if God just kept on healing us every time, we'd never go to be with Him, right? So He eventually wants us to be in the world of perfection. So here's the thing. We do pray for healings, and God does answer those in His will and His timing. But as a Christian, here's a key principle. As a Christian, if you pray for healing, God always answers it with a yes. It's just a matter of when. So like if I'm sick and I pray for God to heal me, and He takes me on to be with Him in glory. Has He healed me? Absolutely. It just wasn't maybe the way I thought. So that's the good news about Christian. Either way, you win. And I don't know about you, but that, man, that's, you don't have to fear anything anymore. You know, so many of us struggle with fears of what happens with our health, what happens this, but if we're in Christ, the only fear that we have is the fear of God. Nothing else really should fear us, because we're good eternally. Amen? Man, that'll make even a white preacher want to shout. (laughs) So, fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. As I joked the other week, we talked about fellowship. And we we think about ladies that are hanging out, go out for tea time. We think about men eating donuts. And all those are good. And those may start fellowship, but fellowship should never end there. Fellowship is actually kind of like a business term. It means two or more people engage in an activity that's supposed to produce results. So the biblical word koinonia, it means that you and I are together on purpose with a purpose. So when it says fellowship of the gospel, it's saying we're not just hanging out singing kumbaya. That's great. But we're hanging out singing kumbaya because we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission. It's leading somewhere. So many churches start with the beginning of fellowship, they don't complete it. It's we're on a mission. We're doing something together. When I think about God having a purpose and plan for us, I'm so encouraged. When I think about each of you individually, I think, you know what? God has destiny all in your DNA, spiritually in Christ. You have destiny all over you. When I think about the church as a whole, 
And I'm thinking what this church could do if 12 people changed the world, what could 140 people do at Arden First? I mean, the possibilities are endless. When I think of each of my children, each one of them, and Lori has to sometimes coach me, hey, they're just four, calm down. But I'm like, here I see you. You're going to be a worship leader one day. And Noel, you're going to be this and that. And Lori's like, let's see how they unfold a little bit before you start predicting where they're going to go. But that's part of, that's part of being a pastor. You're a talent scout. I, my job is to find the best in you and bring it out and let you go after it. Because here's the thing, if no one discovers your talent, it ends up buried, right? And one day we're all going to have to give account for our talent. What did you do with it? So Paul says, when I think about you, I think about your fellowship in the gospel. I think about what you're doing. And sometimes we have a wrong perspective of what God is doing. How many of you have either a child or a grandchild in college? Raise your hand. Imagine if you got this letter. It says, Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I'd write a note to you to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after 11th grade to get married, but after a year, he got a divorce. We've been going steady for two months and plan to be married in the fall. At this point, I'm just like, what? Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. I think I might be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week. Although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. The next page, the letter continued. Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. Nothing of it's true. But Mom, it is true that I got a C- in French. (laughs) And I flunked my math class. And it is true that I'm going to need some more money to pay my tuition payments. Don't get any ideas if you're a college student writing to your parents, but... It changed your perspective. At first, you're like, this is horrible. What's going on? And then you're like, all right, it's not as bad as I thought. And that's the way it is in life. You think, I'm doing pretty bad, but from an eternal perspective, you're doing really good if you're a Christian. So here's the thing. We've got to be real with each other. You know, How are you doing? Let's be real. But you know what? From an eternal perspective, you're doing better than you realize. And I don't know about you, but that creates some joy. Even in the worst possible scenario, Paul's going to talk about this in 121. If, even if I die, guess what? I'm with Christ and I'm in glory. So no matter what happens to me, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you that counts. So you can have this joy that he has a purpose and plan for your life. Amen? Number three, and we're carrying on. He always finishes what he starts. And I don't even have to go into illustration about us men. Oh my goodness, I'm so bad at starting something. And then I have to call like Lee Beast and help me out. I can't finish it. Um, we're good at starting stuff but not completing it. The good thing is if God starts it, He's a finisher. He completes it. Look at verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing. And isn't it great if you have a spiritual leader in your life and says, listen, I'm confident of this in your life. So I'm going to speak this over you even as I read this word that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you truly are saved, now that's the if, if you truly have received Christ, if God has started it, he will finish it. So here's the thing, let's not give up on each other. Because if God is not through with you, why should we be through with you? If God hasn't given up on you, why should we give up on you? He who started it, 
will finish it. It says, until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is going to continue his work until Jesus comes back again. In other words, all of your life, and then after, he's working in you. Just as it is right, verse 7, for me to think of this, because I have you in my heart. Have you ever heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? Well, Paul is saying, listen, I definitely want to teach you a lot about God, but I want you to know that I love you. I care for you. And as your pastor, Arden Furs, I want you to know that I love and care for each and every one of you. And I want you to experience God's best in this life. And that means bringing glory to him. It doesn't mean you're exempt from suffering, as we learned from First Peter. It doesn't mean you can bypass trials, but it does mean, even in the hardest times, God is with you and he's for you and he's got a plan for you. Amen? See, every one of these verses will preach. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. All right, now some of the guys that are checked out, I've got a story for you to check back in. This may be before some of you were born, but in 1929, anybody here that want to be honest, you were alive in 1929? All right, no one wants to be honest. All right, so in 1929, there was a football game. How many football fans we got over there? All right, we got a few. It was Georgia Tech versus California in the Rose Bowl. And this name may not register to you, but Roy Regals. We've got a picture of him. Anybody ever heard of him? He was playing in this game. And all of a sudden, Georgia Tech had a fumble. And Roy picked it up and started running. The problem is he was running in the wrong direction. And he kept running. And the news announcers, and by the way, you can Google his name. And you can read what the news announcer like, Roy Regals, I can't believe it. He's running the wrong way. And this is the quarterback. And this is the guy that should know what's going on. And he runs 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards. They're like, stop. I think it was like 65 yards when finally one of his teammates caught up to him and tackled his own teammate to stop him from scoring a touchdown for the other team. So everyone is just, I think there was like 66,000 people in the stadium somewhere in that ballpark. And everyone's just like, I, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. So halftime comes, and they're losing. And uh, the coach normally gives his halftime pep talk, but in this case, the coach, he was completely silent. I mean, what do you do when your guy just completely blows it? So the coach just, like, what do I do? His name was uh, Coach Nibs Price. And Coach Price is like, what do I do? And he was silent. In about three minutes, uh, one of the officials said, hey, you guys got to get back on the floor. We're starting second half, and there's a silence. And the coach had to make a decision, and everyone's wondering, Do, does he bench Roy, or does he play him? And Roy was huddled over in the corner by himself, crying, puppy dog tears. He had the, the towel wrapped around his head, and he was just like in a shock, because he had just blown his entire career, he thought, in front of 66,000 fans, his coach, his team, everybody. So the coach made a declaration. Everybody who started the first half will start the second half. And everyone ushered back on the field, but Roy just sat there. And the coach said, Roy, did you not hear what I said? Everyone who started the first half will start the second half. And Roy said, listen, I've made a fool of you, the university, myself. And with puppy dog tears coming out, he said, I can't go out there second half. He said, Roy... Get up. It's only the first half. You've still got a second half. So Roy got out there, and according to the story, he played one of the best halves of his football career. They still lost by a point, but that's not the end of the story. 
His senior year, he started, he was varsity, and he made All-American that year. And he eventually ended up in the Hall of Fame for college football. So here's the story. It's just the first half, guys. God's not giving up on you. Get back up. Get into the game. Because who knows what will happen in the second half. Amen. Look at the person next to you and say, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. Finally, number four. He desires for you to grow in all areas of your life. And these are some of the most practical verses. And I'll break it down for you. Verse 9, if you'll follow along on your listening guide. He says, and this I pray that your love, your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. Okay, circle the word knowledge and discernment. The word knowledge in the Greek generally is a word that's my relationship to God. It, it's a special understanding. Discernment is person to person. It's human. It means having social intelligence into what's going on. Church, can we talk? <laughs> can we talk? Um, if you've ever been single and you were looking to meet the perfect guy, the perfect girl, I wish somebody back in my young days would have pointed me to Philippians 1, verse number 9. Because here's the thing. You ever heard the saying that love is blind? Did you know that's not biblical? Whoever said that didn't read this, nor 1 Corinthians 13. True love has the eyes wide open, the mind wide open, and the heart wide open. True love, it says it's based upon this knowledge. In other words, what does God think about it? Is this really going to draw me closer to God or draw me away? And it's based upon discernment. Is this person going to make me better or is this person going to make me worse? So this is for the singles, those listening online. For those of you who have grandchildren, you can pass this on. Here's the equation. If you marry the right person, it makes you twice the person. If you marry the wrong person, it makes you half the person. That's why Paul's saying, listen, have knowledge and discernment because God wants you to grow and develop. He doesn't want anyone to bring you down. So choose wisely. I read a story about David Slagle. He was a minister at a small church in Atlanta. And there was this young girl. She was in her late 20s, and she was really wanting to get married. And Pastor Slagle saw her with this young man. They had met in their apartment complex. He lived a few apartments over, I believe. And he said, are you and this guy dating? And she said, oh, no. We're just friends. And this guy was a known atheist in the town. He did not believe in God. He wasn't spiritual at all. It's like, we're just friends. I could never date anyone that uh, didn't share my same values. We're just hanging out together. Just friends. A few months later, are you guys dating? Yes, we're dating. But I'm not going to get engaged to this guy until he becomes a Christian. A few months later, she changed that as well. She was engaged. And what he observed is so many times our hearts, we don't guard them. We just open our hearts and, you know, this person's paying me attention, so I'm just going to go for it. But Paul says, listen, if you're in a relationship, whether in the church, whether it's significant other, you need to have knowledge and discernment. You need to know what's good and what's not good. So here's an application. And by the way, if you're married, this applies to business relationships. This applies across the board. Here's the question. Does this relationship or in a business world, does this partnership draw me closer to God or pull me away from him? Well, it's neutral. Really, there's nothing neutral in life with God. You're either drawing closer. I mean, I can't think of anything that stays neutral over a long period of time. It's either going to help you or, or drag you away. Number two, does this person challenge me to be better 
or are they bringing me down? Here's the thing. Whenever you get married, and this is coaching for all of us men and women, you're to be your spouse's talent scout. You're to bring the best out of them. You're not to hold them back from God's best. You're to bring it out. So men, as husbands, you're to find what your wife's good at, gifted at, where God's blessed her, and push her towards that. You guys with me? Say, uh-huh. Or ouch. And ladies, the same thing for your husband. You know, you're, you're to see that he may have some rough spots, but he's got potential, and you're to speak to that. You didn't know you were going to get marriage advice today, did you? <laughs> Number three, and this is to the ladies, and this is in a relationship specifically, is this guy leading you spiritually. So here's the thing. Biblically, men are supposed to be the what? Spiritual leaders. So would you date someone that's not ahead of you spiritually? It's just a thing, because if you get married, you're going to have a headache if you're leading him spiritually, he's not leading you. So some of you are saying, what if you're already married, Pastor Timothy? Well, there's still good news. God is not through with your partner yet. He's not through with your husband or wife. And you need to pray and trust God and allow him. So don't get discouraged. As we go through the scripture, don't let it discourage. Let it motivate you that, you know what? I'm going to pray God's best over my husband. I want to pray God's best over my wife. And if you're single, well, you've heard the truth. So make relationships out of knowledge and discernment. And the fourth question, practically, is this person causing you to compromise your purity? You know, the Bible says that love is pure, right? So if it's not pure, can you really put the biblical love tag on it? Is this person causing me to compromise? So that's, all right, free tip. That's just verse number nine. Let's move on to verse number ten. It says that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. The word sincere, it comes from, our English word, it comes from two Latin words. The first word is sine and Sarah. And it means without wax. So here's what would happen in the marketplace. If you were a potter and you had a cracked pot, you could put wax in it to make it look like it was whole and a good pot. So what they would do, the word sincere can also mean judged by sunlight. So what they would do if you were in the marketplace in the first century A.D., you could hold up a pot or even a, a piece of clothing, and if a light shone through it, then you know it wasn't sincere. If it, the light didn't shine through it, there was no cracks in it, i.e., it was sincere. So what Paul's saying is, don't have things in your life that you fill it up with man-made wax, but allow God to fill those gaps in your life. Allow His grace to heal you and fill you. Because we all have cracks and gaps, right? But let's not be fake about it. Let's be sincere. Let's be without wax. So whenever the light is shown, we don't have all these light coming through us, but the light stops at us and we allow the light to change us. Because as we walk in the light and those things are revealed, we ask God's grace to fill in the gaps. And then we can be sincere and authentic. Amen. Final verse, and we will land the plane. Verse number 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So in conclusion, this joy is not just a sentimental feeling. This joy is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the more that you're connected to Jesus Christ, the more fruit you'll produce. And the more that you're faithful and you walk with Him, all of a sudden you'll begin to see fruit emerge. And the joy will be contagious and people will say, why are you so different? Why is your life so much different than my life? 
And what you can say is it's because of Jesus. It's because I put others ahead of myself. And because of that, God's joy shines through. So in conclusion, God is not through with you. If he started something in your life, he will carry it on to completion. So you know what? I'm not going to give up on you. You don't give up on me because he's still working on us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. That he who's begun a good work in us will carry it on through us. We thank you that it's not what happens to us that matters, but what happens in us. And Father, I thank you that you have a special purpose and plan for everyone here at Arden First. I thank you that you finish what you start. I thank you that you want us to grow in all areas of our life. I thank you, God, that you treat us far better than what we deserve because of the grace of God. And Father, right now, I just want to say a special prayer for those who and say, Pastor Timothy, I've made some mistakes in business relationships. I've made some mistakes in dating relationships or whatever it may be. And if you'll just say a prayer of God, I realize I need to grow in knowledge and discernment. I need to have your understanding and I need to have social intelligence that this is either good for me and going to draw me closer to you or it's bad for me and it's not going to draw me closer to you. Please forgive me, God, where I've fallen short of that. And Father, there may be someone here that's been praying for a son or a daughter or a grandchild. And I pray verse 6 would just register in their hearts that he who began a good work will complete it. So Father, bring that son or daughter or grandchild back to you. Finally, as we, as we finish our prayer, if, there one, if there's one here today that would say, Timothy, this is great, but I've never really experienced this true joy. I would ask you, have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you made him the Lord of your life, the Savior, the leader? If you haven't, if you would just reach out to God and say something like in your own words, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I know that you were buried and you rose again on the third day. Jesus, I need you to rise in my heart. I need you to forgive me and change me and cleanse me. Because God, I've got a lot of issues. I've got a lot of sins. And Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I invite you into my life. I make you my Lord and Savior. And thank Him. Thank you, Jesus, for changing me, for giving me a new life, for flooding me with your grace. Father, we love you and we thank you that when you start something, you complete it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, if you'll stand for the hymn of invitation. If you need prayer, Adam and I will be at the front to pray for you. If you would like to join the church or get information about that or any other need, you're welcome to come forward during this final song.